This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. It's Victory Monday, and you know what that means. Welcome in, folks, to a brand spanking new episode of SB Nation's official Miami Dolphins podcast. We are Finsider Radio, a.k.a. The Jake and Josh Show. I'm Josh Houts. You can follow me on Twitter at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. And I'm joined by the greatest co-host, the one, the only, Jake Mendel. Follow him on Twitter at J-M-E-N-D-E-L-94. Before we jump into our takeaways from yesterday's gritty 17-16 win, over the Patriots, before we remind the world that Tua Tungavailoa is 2-0, undefeated against Bill Belichick, let me welcome in Jake Mendel. What's up, Jake? Josh, talk about a fire intro. That is the credit the Dolphins deserve. I have I've listened to four or five different podcasts so far today, just hoping to get some sort of content, some sort of... Uh, you know, excitement about this game. And mostly I've heard is about how the Patriots have a quarterback that might be okay because he averaged five yards of attempt. But Josh, we're here. The Dolphins played an absolutely incredible game. Brian Flores, he has won twice in New England, twice in three attempts before Brian Flores. This team has not won in New England since the Wildcat game. So Josh, I mean, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of excitement here because I kind of wrote out the spark notes edition of what this game was. And it was two well-coached teams uh, kind of trade punches until someone makes a mistake and the other team gets the win out of it. That's kind of what we expected to go in. Uh, our predictions didn't really say that as much, but in terms of two defensive minded coaches, uh, this was everything we could ask for. Man, and let's reiterate, you know, we're coming into this guns a blazing. We really don't have too much written down. We're hoping to do this kind of straight fire from the hip. But I mean, Jake, what we saw was kind of what you expect from a Miami Dolphins and New England Patriots battle. The Dolphins have won three of their last four road games, and it is the first time since 1999 and 2000 that the team has won two of their last three games at New England. So again, this is huge for the Miami Dolphins. Like you said, Brian Flores is now three and two. So maybe it's time he can uh, chop that Padawan. Uh, he can chop his Padawan. This uh, is a thing now. I like it. Yeah, chap the pa- the. Pa- Wait, I, I can't even say. I was gonna say he rat said ponytail. Tail, but yeah. rat tail, all the above. Let's he can chop that off because he is starting to look more like the master as we expected. 
it's great because it has so much to say about preparation, Josh. You think that the Dolphins, they scored two touchdowns in yesterday's game, and they were at the start of both halves. I mean, I thought that's such a cool statistic because the first thing I thought when the Dolphins came out of the half was I was so used to uh, such a flat team coming out. I think about the Joe Philbin days where it seemed like the Dolphins could go into halftime where things kind of were starting to get out of control. They'd be up, you know, 10 to three or something like that. But then halftime comes, the other team makes adjustments and the Dolphins are doomed. What we saw here is that there was a script ready for both of the, both of the starts of the first halves. And you see what happened outside of those two drives that how hard it was to move the football. It tells you that when this team has time to game plan and has an opportunity, they can really deal with any type of offense or defense they they have uh, put in front of them. Yeah, and let's just talk about that first opening drive. I mean, they went 10 plays, 80 yards, capped it off with that touchdown to a ton of a low with a perfect read there on that RPO or, you know, maybe it was design run, whatever it was. But I mean, that was just a perfectly executed drive. And then, like you said, the, the offense kind of sputtered. They went into the half and then they came out guns a-blazing again. They went nine plays, 75 yards, and then capped that off with a touchdown. It was the Jalen Waddle got his first career touchdown. I mean, he looked great. But, Jake, are you a little concerned that, you know, their two biggest drives came at the beginning of the game, you know, when, you know, many of these plays are scripted? And then at halftime, you know, after that, they went into the locker room, probably talked things over and maybe came out with another game plan that was a little bit scripted. So, uh, I mean, it's pretty significant that their two biggest drives came at the beginning of the game and at halftime. At least that's from my perspective. Josh, I feel like if you want to be a road team and, and win a football game, there's really two ways to do it. It's force those two, three mistakes in a row where it really can get the opposing offense to just flat out be derailed and you get that momentum going where you have the time to score, you know, three touchdowns to pile on that lead. Or it's going to be something like this where both teams play in, in such a specific way where it's so focused on not letting the other team get any sort of advantage, right? So the Dolphins had that opportunity to game plan. I just think it really says more about the Patriots, the coaching staff they have there, just how they're able to kind of adjust to game plans. And the fact that the Dolphins were able to kind of chalk up 14 points just from scheming. If you get that every game, Josh, you need to score, what, 10, 12 more points a game. And all of a sudden you are, what, a top five offense in the NFL? Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of this might have to do with how poorly the Patriots were last year. You know, I think a lot of us are skewed by that and forget how dominant they've been, how awesome this defense has been. And let's be honest, I mean, I don't know how you felt about Mac Jones. I know a lot of it was underneath stuff. I mean, seemed like the Dolphins' defense was trying to take away the big stuff and keep everything underneath. They kept I mean, the game yeah, in front of them. That's yes. all they wanted to do. So when you're sitting like here... I was going to say that the goal was you don't let Mac Jones make that, you know, 20-yard completion that, that he had I maybe a couple of. I think he had like three passes that went over 20 yards. And you just keep that in front because if that 20-yard completion goes to 60, that is the momentum. And that's where people might feel a little frustrated about how this Miami Dolphins defense performed. But, Josh, that was the game plan the whole time. I mean, this group deserves so much credit. I think the Patriots had the time of possession. I'm going to have to relook it up, but I think for 37 minutes or something crazy like that. And they just kind of stayed ready to strike. They stayed, you know, playing that mistake free football and they forced the Patriots to really, uh, you know, do like a mortal combat combo type thing where they got to hit 17 buttons in a row to reach the end zone. If you mess up once trial over again. And it really was Ben don't break. You ha I have the time of possession here. The Patriots controlled the clock 36 minutes and 43 seconds to the Miami Dolphins, 23 minutes and 17 seconds. And we, I definitely have egg on my face. Cause I said, you know, one of those keys coming into this was to control the time and to win the third down battle. And Miami only converted four of 11, which was 36% while the new England Patriots converted 11 of 16 on third down, which is almost 69%. So, I mean, that is how the new England Patriots stay alive in this game. But I think the dolphins went out there and executed this, you know, kind of the way they intended on it. And those two takeaways were easily the game changer. The 
the uh, Javon Holland hit stick on Johnu Smith. We all saw him do a somersault. The ball came out. And then Xavier Howard. I mean, Jake, we sat here and we continue to say, you know, this is probably the best player uh, on this entire team. And then, you know, with all the stuff that happened this offseason, to have him come out there when they were doing everything they could to not get the ball near him, he went up there and made a play. I mean, that was just awesome to see. And um, that streak continues now for the Miami Dolphins. They are now 23 consecutive games with a turnover. The last time the team failed to create a turnover was against the Bills back on November 17th of 2019. The team record is 42. So um, I hope I didn't jinx that, but the key to this Miami Dolphins success last season was turning, getting takeaways and, you know, trying to capitalize on that, playing enough on offense, you know, to not turn the ball over. I think we saw that in this game and ultimately they got the win. And I think that's what so many people are forgetting is that the Dolphins won this game, no matter how ugly it was, no matter how much yards they gave up to Mac Jones and those dinks and dunks. At the end of the day, the Dolphins are now 1-0 on top of the AFC East. And you got to feel pretty damn good about it, no matter how ugly it was. Josh, and that's such an important factor to keep in mind here. Um, I forgot who was talking about it. It might have been Eric Rowe who was saying that, you know, there are offensive uh, playmakers, I think Miles Gaston was one of them, who are walking around the facility with footballs all the time. And the defensive guys are always sitting there trying to punch them out. And so when we get frustrated about, you know, maybe a opposing running back kind of spinning forwards and getting an extra two yards, he can kind of carry his body a little more, or the Dolphins give up all these dinks and dunks, Every single one of these tackles, the Dolphins are trying to strip the ball. So while the Dolphins are giving up these, you know, the, the bends, I hate using bend that don't break, but that's truly what they're doing. They're making you be so perfect because you had to not only catch the ball, you had to then move up field. You got to get past the chains and then you got to not let it get stripped. And we saw the Dolphins. I think, I think the Patriots fumbled four times. I think they recovered two of them, but I mean, all those yards don't matter if it doesn't result in points. And and the one drive that Mac Jones scored on, I mean, there was that questionable, uh, you know, roughing the passer call that really set them up. And then Andrew Van Ginkle decided to dissolve on that reception to Jacoby Myers. But I think, Josh, would we kind of look at how the Dolphins are going to win? The yards truly don't mean anything. It's all about that third down conversion rate. I think despite the Dolphins actually let the Patriots convert 11 of 16 on third downs, again, it resulted in just one touchdown because, you know, you can go 60 yards, but if we pop the ball out after, you know, five attempts, we are guaranteed to get it one out of every, you know, eight, nine times. It might look ugly at times, but, you know, the odds just kind of even out that way. Yeah, Jake, even when it is so unpredictable. It, it's weird. Despite being unpredictable, it's predictable. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I hate that we're sitting here and we're going to spend some time on it, but what was your thought on that play? Because that to me was just, I, I understand the rule. I understand, you know, you can't go low at a quarterback, but let's be honest, Mac Jones was twisting. He already conceded that sack. And what else was Landon Roberts supposed to do after he literally just went through a guy? So I hated that. The fact that it led to their only scoring drive of the day. I mean, no one's talking about that. And that's crazy to me. Um, We're sitting here, Jake, and we are kind of all over the place. So maybe we should just go back to square one and just, you know, focus on the offense, and then maybe the defense. So I have written down here, 259 total yards on offense. I believe 74 of that came on the ground. Miles Gaskin only had nine carries for 49 yards. So I have egg on my face with him being my fantasy prediction. But um, I don't know how you felt, Jake. I mean, Tua went out there, executed, went 16 to 27, 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That interception was ugly. I don't know what he was trying to do there. He admitted he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds, but uh, it definitely didn't get there. He almost had another pick earlier in the game. But I mean, again, against a New England defense, against Bill Belichick, who we can continue to hear, you know, has not lost this many games uh, against a rookie quarterback up until he went against Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, I thought he went out there and, and, you know, did just enough, I guess, to win this game. Yeah, Josh, you're 100% right. And I kind of have to start with, I think, arm strength. And this that interception was the perfect um, example of what 
people talk about when they're saying, you know, how much of an arm strength does a quarterback have? Because I think people don't really necessarily think when Tua, uh, you know, hits a huge bomb down the field, whether it was to Jakeem Grant, that ball that should have been a touchdown to Albert Wilson, except the defensive back made an incredible play. You know, people are going to look at that and say Tua has the arm strength. But then when you see him on the run and he gets hit, I mean, that ball was trying to go out of bounds, Josh. That was like five five yards away and I'm not trying to sit here and bash him but that's just kind of it is what it is and and to make that play a little more interesting Josh what the hell is going on with Mike Gusecki because he had his hands on that ball twice I mean I'm not saying he should have caught it but just in general where, where was he today you know you're talking about uh Devontae Parker here and you have written down four receptions on seven targets for 81 yards I said on a previous podcast you know with all these speedy wide receivers the true unicorn of this group is Devontae Parker you know he fits that traditional mold of a number one receiver when he's in that one-on-one coverage like we saw with JC Jackson you know he's going up there and making those Randy Moss type plays and I am going to continue to say he got Moss on that because I don't know if you saw it Jake but JC Jackson at the end of this game had a quote that said about that 30-yard reception from Devontae Parker. It was all me. He didn't really do nothing. It was all my fault. I gave him that. So, uh, Jake, I know you wear glasses. I have two working eyeballs, but what the hell is this guy talking about? Because, like, again, DVP went up there and, you know, snatched uh, snatched that ball out of the heavens like it was a white dove from the sky on that 30-yard completion. So, um, like the way Devontae Parker went out there and played football, Jake. Yeah, Josh, and they really need to lean on some sort of veteran. We don't really know what's happening with Mike Kosicki. I don't think he was even targeted. Uh, did, I, did I see that right? He's on a, yeah, uh, let me check, but he's definitely on a milk carton after that game because he did not do anything. And Josh, that, that was kind of the thing that was interesting because when you think of opening weekend, you, you really do want to lean on those veterans. I think that's why the uh, Patriots leaned on Damian Harris so much, right? And they leaned on their offensive line so much. So I thought that was an interesting take that he wasn't really involved. Obviously, we already kind of hit on Jalen Waddle there, but Josh... Tell me a little about Liam Eichenberg. I mean, no one really expected this. He comes and he starts at left tackle. And to me, this was, looked kind of like the Cam Newton situation. Uh, when he was released by the Patriots, you know, he said that in, you know, I started the games, I started the preseason games, and the reports came out that I was the starter on the depth chart. But during practice, it was, it was Mac Jones who was getting all the um, – you know, all the snaps, he said that he was getting maybe two reps with the first team compared to Mac Jones getting eight or nine. So, Josh, could this have been that case with William Eichenberg that despite him, you know, getting snaps at left guard and right tackle this whole time, you know, he's had a shot to uh, be the left tackle? Is that possible? I think it is. And I think a lot of people that might be smart, I'm going to say smarter than me. No one's smarter than you, but a lot of people smarter than me, you know, they kind of thought that because in college he did play a ton at left tackle. So you kind of already had the tape there. You kind of already knew that he was pretty, you know, stable, dominant an anchor there. Maybe they tried to, you know, cross train him the way they do a lot of these guys, but uh, I have to give a shout out to smart James, 1981. He actually had a pretty nice graphic. It has a, Liam Eichenberg's, I guess, pro football focus grade. So he had a run block of 65.9, a pass block of 71.8%. Uh, Jackson allowed more than one pressure 10 times last season. So I really don't know that we put too much into pro football focus. I don't even know reading that out loud that I truly completely understand what that says. But, you know, when we saw that Austin Jackson came back, Jake, I felt kind of like a dick for saying, is this a good thing? You know, is it going to be better for this team to have Liam or to have Austin Jackson in the lineup instead of Liam Eikenberg. And, you know, from what I saw, I'm not an offensive line expert. In fact, that's probably the thing I'm the worst at, but uh, <laughs> what we saw out of him, I mean, it looked pretty promising. And Brian Flores was asked at the end of the game, you know, what made you start Liam Eikenberg? And he came out and said, we're just trying to play the five, the five best guys. Liam has done a good job throughout camp played multiple positions. We just wanted to start the five best guys. So he always says he wants to start the five best guys. 
but this, I mean, it does almost sound like what you were saying, Jake, you know, it, were they cross training him with the intent that he was going to be that left tackle with or without Austin Jackson? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's the best five guy because of what happened with Austin Jackson, you know, short week, not practicing with the team, but um, you know, Liam Eikenberg played pretty damn well and it's going to be hard for them to take him out of the lineup, you know, based on what we saw from Austin Jackson previously and based on what we saw from Liam Eikenberg this weekend. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are... It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. So I think the offensive line deserves a bit of credit for this performance. Uh, Tua was sacked just twice on the day. The offensive line clearly still had some work to do. There was an illegal man downfield uh, on a pretty nice screen pass, I think it was. Um, and then there was another hold. On, I think it brought back uh, it brought back a pretty big perception. I didn't really keep track of the penalties. Uh, but overall, Josh, you have to wonder where these guys have to come back when healthy. Uh, you know, we heard about Liam Eichenberg dealing with his uh, – you know, bumps and bruises. So when Austin Jackson starts to come back, is there somewhere he can fit in elsewhere on this offensive line? Or is it just kind of going to be him as the backup left tackle? Or, I mean, we're used to kind of seeing, you know, if so-and-so doesn't work here, we move him. But if the Dolphins are playing the five best offensive linemen, I don't, I don't really know where he'd fit in. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing that came to mind was right tackle. And that would just be the scariest shit ever because, you know, because I mean, two is already running for his life. Um, Jake, we've got to give a shout out to Michael Dieter because, I mean, you see the tape going around, you know, CK Parrott, some of these other guys are focusing in on some of this offensive line tape. Michael Dieter looked pretty good yesterday. You know, he was opening up some holes, making some plays and, do you know, you know, he wasn't one of those players that truly stood out for his bad performance. So that's a step in the right direction from what we've seen previously at the center position. Before we move on to the defense, so Jake, I mean, we got to give a shout out to Jalen Waddle. I talked about a little bit at the beginning, but caught four or six targets, 61 yards. He had 15.3 yards per catch. He had that one touchdown. Waddle's 61 receiving yards are third most for a Dolphins rookie in their debut and the most for a Miami Dolphins rookie wide receiver in their debut. So Jalen Waddle making plays, he had that critical drop, but I mean, I, I think what we're seeing is my fear when Jalen Waddle was drafted was can these dolphins use him properly? Can they use some of that pre-snap motion and give the playmaker the football? The answer is yes, Jake. The answer is yes. Josh, you couldn't be more right. Uh, you know, Waddle also earned the honors of being on the uh, elevator, the elevator victory Monday honors at Hard Rock Stadium. Those things are always pretty cool to see. Josh. So we kind of talked a little bit here about the Patriots being 11 for 16 on third down, it did feel a little hollow. You know, you go back to the fact they didn't score more than a single touchdown. So, Josh, do you think this defense would have performed better if it had a little more depth with those run stoppers, uh, if they kept someone like Bernard McKinney around? Or do you kind of think that this is just the way the Dolphins are kind of going to play their hand each and every week? 
Yeah, Jake, I mean, I, I really can't say because we're looking at Bernard McKinney right now. He's still out there. The team really hasn't kicked the tires on him. But, I mean, for me, as soon as they made that trade, that was what I saw was a guy that's a thumper, can really help in the run game. I think a Landon Roberts and Sam McGuavin kind of split reps there. So uh, I, I really don't know what the Dolphins' plan is here. But, I mean, I think one of the biggest things heading into the season was – um, you know, could they stop the run? Could they improve? And, you know, after week one, I really don't know if that's the case. I don't know how much Raquan Davis injury, you know, obviously affected that. I mean, he's that stud in the middle there. He's that guy that's an anchor and, you know, makes life easier for everyone around him. So that injury looked brutal. Thank God. You know, he looked like he was up on the sideline, looked like he was, you know, potentially ready to come back in the game. Hopefully Flores shed some light on that. But um, Jake, I mean, for a guy who, who sits here and, you know, really loved that Bernard McKinney trade, went on a rant for a couple of weeks about how this was a game changer. I'm going to say, you know, if they would have him in that lineup, it would be better, but um, you know, that's just me being a homer. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of one of those uh, interesting talking points. So you get a little riled up, Josh, about something like that. And it's important to keep in mind. I mean, Bill Belichick, he's going to know how to kind of stop the Miami Dolphins defense better than anyone. Right. I mean, he knows what's happening on this offense. It's no secret. You know, it's not like it was with Spider-Man meme, year. right? It's a Spider-Man. Exactly. Point exactly. <laughs> So the fact you can go in there and, again, you cut off your ponytail and beat the master, I mean, that at the end of the day is what's important. And, Josh, the Dolphins do have another pretty big test coming up with the Bills. Uh, but, you know, doing a quick little look at how that game went, Josh Allen was pressured a lot. He was pressured up the middle a lot. That sounds like something the Dolphins like to do. Uh, you mentioned the Raekwon Davis injury. We're recording this on Monday. Josh, we're going to record shows Monday, Wednesday, Friday throughout the season. So Wednesday we'll get caught up on all the injuries. I mean, hell, the Dolphins are even one of those teams where guys, you know, seem to appear on the injury report all the time. They seem to a lot of the time actually have one of the longer injury reports for, for some reason. Uh, but Josh, I mean, overall, a very happy victory Monday. Monday. We got Jake Brisket doing some pretty big heavy lifting for the Dolphins, too. Overall exciting performance. I mean, I woke up yesterday with a smile on my face and, and that smile never left. And, you know, that's carried all the way through Victory Monday. Yeah, Jacob. I mean, how can we not talk about Jacoby Brissett coming in those games and looking like Lusaka Polite or Larry Zonka? I mean, I know a lot of fans were upset about that, but I'd much rather have Jacoby Brissett in there, you know, running right up the middle and getting all He's these getting helmets, paid, getting all these helmets hitting him. And, you know, instead of our, our quarterback, Tua Tonvaloa, I do want to throw out PFF Ryan Smith has Dolphins safety. Javon Holland was the highest grade of rookie in the league week one had an 82.5 overall grade, zero targets and 16 coverage snaps. So he clamped them down and then he has the highest grade Dolphins defensive players, minimum 20 snaps and Emmanuel Agba has an 86.1 at the top of that list. Not to get too far into it, Jake, but Jason McCourty played 74 out of 75 snaps back there. So, you know, we all thought that maybe it was going to be Javon Holland's job right away, but McCourty, that veteran, that presence in that lineup, you know, speaks volumes for what Brian Flores wants back there. And, you know, maybe he's doing some of that communicating pre-snap that Javon Holland isn't quite caught up with. So uh, I think it was interesting the way these safeties were used and also interesting the way, uh, you know, New England went out there and it seemed to attack them. I mean, they had no issue going after Eric Rowe. They had no issue going after some of those other guys. So um, something that we have to keep an eye on moving forward because the Buffalo Bills are going to be a lot tougher of a task than that New England Patriots offense. Yeah, Josh. And, you know, I do have to admit, it's been a little frustrating. It seems like most of the news on Mac Jones is, again, hollow. It felt like, to me, performance. You didn't really score a lot of points. Uh, those drives did it on turnovers, and I'm going to keep being that homer. Barstool's already giving him three Super Bowl rings, and the guys didn't even play three full freaking games. I mean, I, I don't understand. It goes back to, you know, the media saying he's shown more in, 
in what? But Josh, two... we're the media. We're the media. Instead of the media, people so... retweeting that stuff and yelling about it, you should be retweeting this stuff about how the Dolphins played incredibly well and Brian Flores executed his game plan perfectly. That's the stuff you should be retweeting, obviously. And Josh, more importantly, this was the radar game. You know, the this was the game that, the like I said, I listened to six podcasts today and they barely talked about the Dolphins. But the people who do those podcasts, they, they notice the Dolphins win. If the Dolphins win against Buffalo, everyone's going to jump right on this bandwagon. I don't necessarily know if I want that, but I mean, talk about setting the tone early in the season, man. And looking ahead, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, and I'm normally one of the first people that loves to, you know, sign on a different account or even just my own and just bash some of these media and say something ignorant. But you're right. I think I'd much rather be scooting under the radar uh, than having these guys, you know, all fans of the Miami Dolphins because, you know, it's us against the world. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. Like Jake said, guys, it's usually us against us, too. Yeah, well, you're right. Civil War. I mean, even right now, Twitter, it's, it's victory Monday. They just beat the New England Patriots and somehow, you know, the Twitter's up in arms and finding this, that and the other thing to nitpick about. And I mean, it's week one. I mean, you shouldn't put too much stock into it. Like Jake said, guys, instead of retweeting the media, every all those pundits that have negative things to say about the Dolphins. Follow us, you know, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review. If there's something you don't like, feel free to reach out to us. I, again, am on Twitter at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. That is Jake Mendel. His ad is at J-M-E. And DEL 94, like Jake mentioned, we will be back on Wednesday. Hopefully the all 22 will drop by then. So Jake and I can do a deeper dive into this victory over the New England Patriots. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Jake and Josh show, part of SB Nation's Finsider Radio. I'm Josh Houts. That's Jake Mendel. We'll talk to you next time. Fins up. Fins up. It's Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami